If you're familiar with the work by Buffalo Niagara Waterkeeper, probably heard of the phrase or come across one of our living shorelines. It's, it's an idea meant to improve shorelines around creeks, rivers, and lakes. It can do this by teaching people how to act better around it. Maybe not mowing right up to the water's edge is one element, but then it's also plant life so that you can have these things here that will attract pollinators for the land and then also putting plants in the water to attract fish, creating a habitat for a variety of species and also adding these elements to the shore that will hopefully prevent erosion. So we've done this on several places around Western New York, and it's a process to make it work properly. And one element that has helped us over the years is using what we're going to call rock socks. It's a fun name for an efficient way to get plantings in the water near a shoreline and to make sure that this will take root faster and better. We've worked with many partners over the years on these rock socks, to better describe them and how they've been used, I'm joined by Waterkeeper's Charlie Otto. He's our project manager and senior designer of ecological programs and has been with Waterkeeper for eight years. Hey, Charlie. How you doing? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you for joining me today to talk about Rock Socks. Of course. At the, catching me at the end of the year, I feel like I got time to burn. So let's, uh, let's, let's talk about some stuff. So yeah, we're here to talk about Rock Socks. But before we get into that, I wanted to look at this living shoreline concept that Buffalo Niagara Waterkeeper has really been promoting through the years. And I wanted you to kind of maybe explain living shorelines. What's the value of these and um, why is there an effort to increase them? Yeah, it's well to uh, explain what a living shoreline is, it might be helpful to learn what a living shoreline isn't. You know, most shorelines in our environment we're so accustomed to seeing now are, are non-living shorelines. They're the line between land and water that has been fortified in some some way, whether it's with rock or pile walls, wooden walls. Shoreline is basically made out of non-living materials. So the living shoreline is is pretty much self-explanatory, right? It's it's the exact opposite. It's plugging the shoreline, that land-water interface with living things. Most usually that includes plants. And then those living plants attract more living creatures that rely on those plants. So a living shoreline is just an environment that is filled with life and is essential for life. So there's this, um, there's this figure out there in a lot of these studies about the benefits of living shoreline. And they estimate that the shoreline environment is critically important for up to 90% all aquatic life. So what does that mean? That means to be at some point in the life cycle of most living things, they rely on a healthy shoreline, whether it's to like fish spawning, whether it's a place to hide from predators or it's a place for predators to stalk prey. There's just so much tied up in these shoreline environments that they're critically important for the stability of the whole ecosystem. One of the desktop analyses that Waterkeeper did a while back when establishing this program was we looked at all the shoreline environments in the Upper Niagara River, and uh, we determined that oh, almost 80% of shorelines all throughout the Niagara River, at least the Upper River, have been modified and hardened in some way. Basically, have turned into non-living shorelines. So you can you can see how significant. That is when 90% of life relies on a healthy shoreline, 80% of our shorelines are no longer living shorelines. Right. So you can see the need to do something about it. Trying to reestablish those ecosystems and letting life come back to it. Yep. Yep. hundred percent. And that, you know, that's, that's the biotic factor, right? That's the living factor on why living shorelines are so important. But there's also these, I guess, abiotic factors, things like erosion control. 
stormwater absorption, resiliencies for communities um, in terms of storm uh, storm surge and things like that. Living shoreline is going to be more resilient to storm action than maybe a hardened structure. Once a wall gets damaged by, let's say, iceberg comes down, smashes into a, a sheet pile wall in front of somebody's house. Once that wall's damaged, it's damaged. You gotta fix it. You gotta get heavy equipment out there, spend some money to fix that. These living shoreline, they're they're living so they can repair themselves. So if they do sustain damage of some sort, as long as it's in a reasonable, you know, amount, they can actually regenerate themselves and fix themselves. So they become self-healing. There's been a lot of places waterkeepers establish them. Buffalo River. Yeah, you use living shoreline. It could really mean any revitalization. So that does include things on the um, on the Buffalo River, but it also includes, we have sites really all over, up to Hill Creek and Niagara Falls, Yuga Creek. Um, we have projects on Beaver Island, right along the Niagara River, Spicer Creek, Tonawanda Creek, Ellicott Creek, Skajakwita Creek. Uh, so yeah, we got, we really do, we have projects pretty much all over it. Let's say maybe 12 to 15 projects right now. And currently maybe I think three to five in, in, in the process of being designed. And so we're we're managing those in some ways, maybe helping them to stay in that fashion, like and then incorporating volunteers into that. Yeah, yeah. So I guess that's um that is a really important thing to mention is like these shorelines kind of mention how disturbance happens all the time. Uh, we we live in an, at a time where there's just such novel impacts on these environments you know we have more storm frequency big swings in precipitation where we can get hammered with rain for part of the year then it's completely bone dry other parts you have boat wakes that are constantly being thrown against the shoreline we have invasive species from you we're know, trying to colonize and get in and destabilize the plants that we're trying to establish so there's a lot of things working against shorelines from truly establishing. After projects are constructed, we do kind of rally volunteers to go out to these project areas, what we call adaptive advantage them. So it's about reading the landscape, seeing if there's any needs. Is there invasive species removal needed? Is there supplemental plantings? And we kind of perform that service from construction to true establishment. You know, once they're really strong enough to, to kind of hold their own ground out there in the world, and so we do a lot of that through our Restore Corps program. It's a, it's a BNW, Buffalo Niagara Waterkeep program that engages volunteers and uses a volunteer workforce to essentially carry out a lot of these tasks at, at our different restoration sites. And kind of going back to some of those benefits to the shoreline, I mean, some people might say, well, if you just harden it, you wouldn't have to do like these, like volunteer events maybe, but you talked about, yeah, there's erosion control and then pollution runoff so there's right. filtering i mean aquatic life you mentioned too but the i guess the pollution aspect like it's helping prevent things from going into the water right right so yeah like the shoreline functions they're it's multifaceted right healthy shoreline yes it controls erosion so you can check that box for both the living shoreline and the non-living shoreline there's all those other boxes we talked about right providing habitat for wildlife absorbing nutrients from stormwater the wall's not going to absorb phosphorus and nitrogen, but pickerel weed will absorb a ton of that right out of the water column. So that's going to prevent harmful algal blooms. Um, so there's just so many other sort of benefits that are, are attributed to that living shoreline versus the non-living shoreline. And part of, and with that living shoreline and that restoration work, 
there's been this idea of what we're here, why I have you here today is rock socks, mm -hmm. creating these things. So for the person listening and hearing rock sock, what, what's a rock sock? Before I tell you what a rock sock is, I can tell you some of the challenges in establishing plants along the shoreline. You know, you have to make sure that plants are going to be able to fend for themselves. And so establishing plants is hard in any type of restoration, whether it's upland, riparian, whatever. But it's even more difficult when you're right along the shoreline or in shallow water. And so one of the calling cards of a healthy functioning living shoreline is you have what they would call emergent aquatic vegetation or submerged aquatic vegetation or floating leaf aquatic vegetation. Really any of those or a combination of all three really that are plants that are actually growing within the water. Okay. They're either growing in the substrates underneath and, and kind of their heads are peeking out above the water or they could be floating on the surface like a lily pad, floating pond leaf, something like that, or they could be underwater completely submerged. Getting these plants to establish in post-construction restoration site is pretty challenging because a lot of times um, we're planting huge, huge areas. So there's, there's a cost center. So we buy what's called plugs. Plug is essentially uh, an herbaceous plant that's grown in, I guess a good way to think of it is like um, a really deep ice cube tray, hmm. almost. That's filled with soil and the plant is growing and then you can pull out each one of those individual plugs. They're kind of typical when it comes to like buying annuals from the nursery. You know, you might buy a bunch of impatients that are in these little plastic plug trays. Right, the containers you're going from Mother's Day type of thing. Yep. Yep, exactly. So the ones we get for restoration are a little bit bigger, but same general idea. When you when you put these things in the water, there's not much keeping them in place. Plant itself kind of wants to float, pop out of the water. There's current wind waves that are acting upon the shoreline all the time. The water tide is going in, tides are going out. In this region, not necessarily tide, but the wind brings, you know, it shifts the shoreline in and out. So there's all these fluctuations happening all the time. That plug, unless it's really well rooted into the ground, it's just going to pop right out. So you can spend tons of money and tons of time just uh, really planting the heck out of a shoreline just to come back two weeks later and they all just floated away. So it's just a waste of time. Waste of time, waste of money, and everyone's scratching their heads saying, well, what the heck, how can we get these plants to stay put? It's the rock sock. Rock socks. So the rock sock is... In its simplest term, I love these terms because they're very like direct. They're very, they're very like they are what they are, right? Like a living shoreline is a shore that shoreline that's alive. A rock sock is essentially a piece of fabric filled with rocky soil. So that's essentially what that makes it, is. it a lot easier. So <laughs> I, I hope the listeners appreciate. Or it is it is what it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. We're not we're creative in many ways, but when it comes to uh, naming these things, we keep it pretty straightforward. <laughs> um, but yeah, basically, a rock sock is a we, we usually use burlap or some sort of biodegradable material. We fill it with a special uh, planting substrate, a mixture of various different things. And then we end up slicing into that, that burlap bag, actually plant the plugs in this bag. And then what we do is we store that bag in a nursery setting for you know, a month, two months. Usually our minimum is five to six weeks. The longer, the better. And while they're in this nursery setting, protected from geese and deer that want to eat everything, they're protected from storm surge and their wind-generated waves and et cetera. They're in this perfect environment to just grow roots. And so two months later, started with this little plug, 
this this rock sock. A few months later, you pick these things up out of these uh, storage pools, and the roots have completely grown through the bag, and the bags are like dripping with roots. Wow! So much so that plants are actually spreading out of the bag and sending up new offshoots out of the bag. We like to think of it more of we're planting rootstock and less of planting uh, plants. Okay. And so we bring these out into the environment, and they're kind of heavy. They're like 30, 30 to 40 pounds. I was wondering, yeah, it seems like from some of the photos, people are, you know, you got two hands on them. But yeah. yeah, and for the, for the size, it's it's a like 12 by 20 inch bag. So maybe like a little bit bigger than like a throw pillow on a couch or something like that. And yeah, you see people, they carry these things. They're dripping with roots. They're dripping wet. They have plants growing out the top of them and really just place it right down in shallow water environments um, along the shoreline and that thing's not really going to budge right once you put that down there um, not only is it just going to be able to just brush off wind generated waves even ice in the winter you know kind of stay put it's also going to be able to respond and be resilient to wildlife coming around and try to get a free stack i know you're a big fan of the geese the geese yeah the geese um they single-handedly are ruining my career as the restoration uh, <laughs> ecologist and designer. They, they never cease to, um, yeah. They're they're not very they're not very kind to me. We'll put it that way. So because they can get in there and they'll just start what eating away or they'll just slow the whole thing down and they'll tell their friends. And then the deer catch wind that there's you know there's a buffet out there and then they show up. You know it's it's not their fault. It's, it's our fault, humans, right? Like we eliminated all this critical habitat doesn't exist anymore so whenever you restore something or maybe it's an acre or two acres in size it's a one or two acre plot of native plants that they're starving and they're hungry for so the dinner bell rings and they all show up um <laughs> and so that's another reason why the rock sock is so useful is that we're planting roots not plants so if a deer or a goose comes by and shears off the top trying to get a meal there's so much energy in those roots that it's just going to re-sprout. It's way more resilient compared to the plug. So the rock sock really helps us combat those big challenges that we see, which is chewing water levels, waves, wildlife. And it really has been, it's one of our biggest tools that we have established plants in this really dynamic, challenging location along the shoreline. I think you'd mentioned at one point uh, the idea, the rock sock, you can have a coastal shore, or you can because it's so, the roots are so well established and the plants have grown taller. True, you can plant them out farther from the shore. I guess. Yeah, yeah. So that's another really good uh, benefit of the rock sock is uh, just you know for comparison, going back to the to the standard plug. When you get that, you might have three to four inches of top growth on that plant. Now, emergent uh, plants in particular, although they're growing and their roots are growing under the water, the tops of that plant have to be above that water level they need to be able to breathe essentially and get oxygen down to their roots even though they're in the water they still need to breathe so how deep you can plant an emergent plant in that shallow water near shore area it's really limited by how tall the plant is uh, with the rock socks because those plugs have been growing in the bags in a nursery for sometimes up to two months that plant is now two feet tall so you can see how you can out your planting zone to be way, way, way deeper, way further away from shore to get quicker colonization, which along the shoreline is critical important because of the erosion control and because of the threat of invasive species. So the denser you can plant, farther out you can plant, the better. And that's not to say the plug 
will eventually creep out over time to deeper water, but you're looking at a longer wait time. Right. The idea is get this moving along in some fashion, and if you can do that, that's what these rock socks will accomplish. Mm -hmm. Yep. So I, I got to go take a tour where we took some Restore Corps and some Yelp students, and they got to see the process. It, it's quite involved in creating the rock sock bag. And then I've heard from you talking about getting it into the shore. I mean, that's mm -hmm. where we're relying on these volunteers. I don't know if you can describe what that process is. Yeah. So we, um, because we contract, we hire someone to kind of grow them for us. Yeah. Ever since, you know, seeing this, this process be developed over the years of the rock sock, I always thought, man, I would love for volunteers to, to do this. And what a cool learning experience. Just, just so different than what you would think of as a planting event. So I just, I always wanted to, you know, bring the volunteer world into this. We had the opportunity to do this through our Restorer Corps, which I mentioned earlier was that volunteer workforce led by Waterkeeper to help manage our, our restoration sites. And we knew we wanted to do it, but we could never figure out all the pieces. How do you grow these things? Where are we going to grow them? Where are we going to store them? And we build a temporary nursery in our parking lot in downtown <laughs> Buffalo. But we, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And what we soon figured out, start to dive into it a little deeper, was there's a lot we don't know. You know, you need a whole system to recirculate water. So we were just like, man, we, this is too much. Then we, we, we've, been, we've known of, of Friends of Silo City for some time. It's like where, where culture and ecology kind of intersect in this really interesting way. And it's a really cool facility over there. Uh, we heard that they were thinking about starting this nursery Rock Socks was going to be one of those things that they wanted to start to grow for projects. And they had been working with Tiff Nature Preserve to start getting this role. And so we reached out to friends in Silo City and they were like, yeah, let's do it. They were absolutely critical. And so we're so appreciative to them of not only giving us the space to, to and working with us to grow these out, but just being so open in the process and we learned so much in this past year. And so, yeah, part of what we did is we have some of our kids from the Young Environmental Leadership Program that we have here. And we also had some other volunteers and some of our stewardship. We all went to Silo City and we threw out these rock socks. So we, it was a great event. I must have been close to 30 kids from different high schools that show up. And we are filling these bags with special substrate. It was delivered in bulk, filling up all these bags. And then we're, we're cutting open the the tops of the bags and we're putting the plugs in and we, we set the whole thing out. He's got this great grow out operation going where actually he repurposed the concrete foundation of an old building in the complex. He's sort of transitioned to being a, a growing operation for, for plants. And yeah, it was just such a cool moment to see all these kids just like, just, just to see their, their minds going about this new thing that they've never seen before. So we grew that out, started those in June, and then in the end of September and October, we uh, remobilized with other volunteers and we planted them in a few different locations, one of which was Forest Lawn Cemetery. How did it go? How did the uh, plantings go? The event went great. I mean, we had 20 to 30 people show up. We had two events, a morning and an afternoon session on Saturday, and it went even better than we had thought it would go. It was just really smooth. And I think, you know, as we look to next year and subsequent years after that, I think we can get more rock socks in with 
with less people. So it's actually, it's another, I guess, benefit of the rock saw is that you can plant a lot of area very, very quickly. You just need to drop the thing down and make sure it's in the water. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> Some I've heard you talk about as far as I mean, Living Shorelines has these very tangible benefits. It's pollution, erosion control, ecosystem generation. But you've talked about like just the natural beauty of it, the aesthetic element, like this creates something people want to go see. That seems pretty important to you. I mean, it's not something we maybe put out there and say this is just going to be beautiful, but that's yeah. like, a, a great, I guess it checks another box almost. It's just sure. something. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the funding landscape, it's, it's shorelines are providing an ecosystem service, right? That's, that's the whole driving force of the shoreline, but there's the aesthetic component. So we don't like harp on it too much when we're trying to rally support we kind of spend most of our time talking about the benefits the habitat water quality and all those things but you're 100 right like the aesthetic component of a healthy shoreline can't be overlooked because we live in a world dominated by human beings and so if these projects don't look good they won't exist and so when we are designing projects we're working with engineers and landscape architects and Aesthetics is definitely something that's considered sight lines, bloom time, just plant texture, all these things, because we, as much as we want to just cause change in, in the ecosystem, we want to cause change in people's perception of what a shoreline is. Because I think right now there's these dueling ideas of what a shoreline is. There's the cultural aesthetic, which is mowed to the edge, wall, rock, something like that. And then there's the ecological aesthetic, which is diversity trees fallen fell into the water and sunken into the bank all different kinds of plants and maybe you can't always see the water maybe there's shrubs blocking the way maybe uh, your view is framed by two large clumps of trees right there's these two aesthetics out there and so with the living shoreline program we try to sort of like blend these two so we're creating ecologically rich landscapes that are also culturally accepted and those expectations of open sight feeling safe being able to explore this area of a park that is now revitalized. The last thing we want to do is create a revitalization area and say no people allowed. That wouldn't fly, right? We want people to come in, but we want it to be in a way that's not trampling all the plants. So we designed trails, little bridges over over you know, wetland areas, tons of signage. Teach people about these ideas because this project is so small, right? It's it's a drop in the bucket. Like I said, eighty percent shoreline. Has been all so doing. Even if we have probably have close to maybe twenty-five to thirty, all of our shoreline habitat revitalization projects, it's still such a small fraction of what needs to happen. So every time somebody comes to a project, they can be won over by these ideas and just like just really change their perception. And then they take these ideas with them. Maybe they implement them at their own properties if they live on a waterfront. Maybe they demand to see some of the stuff in their local parks and places. Like that's the kind of snowball ripple effect that we want to cause with these projects. So aesthetics definitely helps make that possible. Because if it looked bad, it would be the opposite. Right. Everybody would be calling up somebody to get it all mowed down. Right. So yes, hundred percent aesthetics is, is important. How's it been for you watching this come to fruition and getting I know you're not the only one doing this. There's a lot of people involved, but you know, it's a uh, clearly you're passionate about it. How does it feel seeing this come about? I love it. Yeah, I love every day of, of doing the work. I really do. Every aspect of shoreline habitat revitalization is just, it's just rewarding to see Waterkeeper bring other programs into it um, and to 
not just make this a, this is engineers and contractors doing this work, but it's actually the community building this new identity around logical stewardship. I just think it, it's all, it's all so important. So to see these, these different programs of Waterkeeper all come together in the Living Shorelines program has been super gratifying and I always love it. I go out to the sites all the time. Now I'll go out to the same site five to 10 times every year, driving all over the place on the weekends, just because they're always changing. They're always different. You always learn something, an idea that you thought might you know, go this direction, actually goes that direction. Sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad, but it's just a constant, it's like a lifelong pursuit to become, like to master this field. Not that you ever can, because you'll never have full control. Because it's it's a living environment that is just so many variables out of your control, but you try your best to dial it in the best you can. And I just enjoy that process immensely. We're doing more of it. You said 2024. This is going to continue as far as um, the Rock Sox shoreline, moving shoreline elevator. Yep, yep. Restore Core uh, is, is you got another year funding going into 2024. By February, I'll be putting in plant orders and can't wait. That's <laughs> nice. Well, thank you, Charlie. Appreciate you coming on. Oh, man, happy to be here. I'll, I can I can talk for hours about this stuff. Many thanks again to Buffalo-based band Snowbelt for their intro and outro music. In this episode, you can find their music and latest album, Norris Avenue, on all streaming services. Check them out. And thank you again for listening. Be well and do good.